Welcome to another edition of the AmiTalk Ask an Expert series, the series that highlights the companies, the people, and the technologies that are shaping the future of retail. I am your host, Anne Bazinga. I'm Chris Walton. And we are the founders of AmiTalk. Today, we are pleased to welcome back one of our all-time favorite guests and retail commerce protection expert, Signified's SVP of Operations and Corporate Development, Bennett. Bennett, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to see you all again. Um, we're pretty excited for to have you back on. Absolutely. I mean, it's not every day we get to talk to a retail commerce protection expert. I think that's the coolest like intro we've ever done. I'm like so jealous of that, that title. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I I like the protection aspect and the the commerce side of it, and and it's definitely in line with Signified's mission, which is to make commerce safe for everybody. So love it. Absolutely. Well, you've been on the show now. I think this is your third time on the show. So welcome to the Three Timers Club. Always good to have people yes. like yourself joining us. And you know, today we're going to talk about a topic that I think is on lots of people's minds, especially those in retail. And I've seen a lot of stuff on social media about this, and that is returns and particularly e-commerce returns. And there's been a lot of noise on this. So we're going to cut to the chase and get the real story here from uh, your perspective, Bennett. Um, January, for lack of a better way to put it, has been either the worst or the best month for e-commerce returns in history, depending on how you want to frame that up. Uh, what, what have you guys been able to discern from your position at Signify? We, we call it the, the busy time of year for returns or reverse logistics. So, mm-hmm. of course, the, the Super Bowl of e-commerce is Cyber Monday, Black Friday, um, you know, Singles Day if you're, if you're, you know, in China, for example. So you have those sale periods. And then after that, there's the kind of the baby boom effect of, okay, well, there was this and then the people here and then the echo. And, and we're talking now about the echo. Um, and that is, all right, I got the good shoes. They don't fit quite right. How do I get them back? How do I get my money back? How quickly do I get my money back? Now I'm mad at you as a customer. And it's just totally fraught for the customer service folks, for the reverse logistics folks. Um, and you know, now it's, I chartered you a boat to get you these goods. And you're not <laughs> okay, keeping them. So like the poor retailers are definitely experiencing a little bit of whiplash. Um, and so we, we call it the busiest time of the year um, for, for returns. Um, and, you know, as expected, we're seeing, you know, return rates increase. Um, and so it's kind of like a wave on a wave on a wave. So e-commerce is a bigger share. Then returns in e-commerce are a bigger share. And then each one of those has been growing. And the percentage of fraudulent returns has also been growing. So it's just multiplicative like down the line. And the problem is now in the tens of billions of dollars um, for online retailers. Okay. So I want to ask you about that because that I think that was really important what you just said. Because you know, when Ann, when the first headline started breaking out, you know, returns are up 40% over the year before. I remember Ann and I were talking, I was like, I'm so tired of that headline because every January it says yes. something like that. But you're saying that this year is different for two reasons, because you're saying the rate of return within that growth is up. And then you're saying the rate of fraudulent activity is also up, right? Did I hear that correctly? You're absolutely correct. Yes. And so if you think about um, e-commerce as a percentage of sales, everyone knows has been increasing, right? Right. It's, it's taking a, more of the pie then naturally e-commerce has had a higher return rate than physical. That Mm -hmm. delta has increased even further. 
Now, also, mm. e-commerce returns have had a higher portion, call it a th- um, you know, uh, 10 to 20% are fraudulent returns. People feel way more comfortable trying to steal when you're not like interacting with a sales associate. Mm, sure. It's easier for fraud rings to be able to, to game the systems when they're more automated, all those types of things. So it's kind of structural, then behavioral, and then structural again in terms of just multiplicative. And so, yes, it's compounding is the answer to this. And it's, it's not just a year over year problem. It's, a, it's more of a, it's a mix shift and then um, kind of a, the waves just continuing in the same direction that they were. Yeah, mix shift and a behavioral change too, it sounds like in there too, or like a gaming change, game theory change too. Um, what type of, what, net net, like what type of financial impact does that then cause? Like how does that wreak havoc, wreak havoc on the bottom lines? Yeah, I, I think numbers are helpful. If you if you think about you know more than four trillion in sales, right, in okay. all of, of of retail, and then you think about returns of more than four hundred billion, right, and so then what we're really thinking about is like ten percent plus, right, returns in e-commerce. Each one of those kind of factors of a percentage is double to triple depending on who you ask in terms of, of percentage returns. So like 20 to 30% get returned. Okay. Then fraudulent is call it five to 10% all of retail. And then in e-commerce, it's another double to triple that. So it's double to triple each time resulting in kind of like five to eight X. So in the, the whole pie of the problem, call it 400 billion, you know, the actual e-commerce losses get down to, you know, the call it 50 billion, right. A year kind of basis. So it's a, it's a giant, giant, giant problem and growing and growing much faster than the sales are growing. And so I think that's why a lot of people, when I talk to people who are like, what are we thinking about for my strategy roadmap for this fiscal year? Of course, you know, most retailers have a fiscal year and starting Feb, March, whatever, all, a lot of them, especially the ones that are the, the largest, um, are talking to me about this customer lifetime value question, this refunds question, this returns problem. People are now just like kind of, we're past COVID. I have to figure this out because I'm just leaking money here and I have to, I have to learn how to make money in this channel. Which requires a total shift, it sounds like, to how they've been thinking about it all along, especially when two and three times what they're experiencing in, in traditional retail format. But Bennett, one of the things I love about having you on is that you always give us the best examples of some of these fraudulent returns yeah. it, with this increased impact on retailers. Tell us a little bit about you know setting the stage for us, I guess, what's happening with fraudsters and, and e-commerce returns now? Like what are retailers seeing? My, my favorite version of this is how professional the returners are, the, the fraudulent returners are. So they set up services and they're like, you don't want to deal with Macy's? We'll deal with Macy's for you. Hint, hint, deal with Macy's, oh. right? And they'll like take the, the items from you. They've set up their own reverse logistics companies effectively. Oh my God. They'll take the item from you and say, here's your 40% cut. We'll give it to you right now. Then we'll go and return it, get the full value, send back something that's a knockoff or a fake or whatever. They have like skew to skew matches of like items and like, give me your iPhones, give me your, whatever the, the item is that you're wanting to return. We'll do the knockoff. It will, or an, or a potato or whatever, however they work out the exact weight. 
and they know when they're going to get the money. So they'll give the consumer a cut, <clears throat> they'll take a cut, and then the retailer is left with nothing. If you think about how hard reverse logistics are for retailers that yeah. own the product or manufacture the products, mm-hmm. these folks are really impressive to me. And I, I feel like I oftentimes like come on and say like, you know, I respect the hell out of the fraudsters or, you know, you have, you have to respect what they're doing, right? Because they, they have good game and they understand very well who they're targeting and how they do it. So I think that's the most interesting piece is once you get to a certain size retailer, and if you have really beautiful designed experiences that don't take into account that people are bad, mm-hmm the bad people will take advantage of that and they will do so in a very professional manner. And you can, you can go on Reddit, you can go on the dark web, you find these guides for, for how to do that. So I personally think that's always the most interesting is how they've, they've turned these into a businesses, right. From that perspective and, and how frankly well run they are. And you'll see kind of, rev- you see reviews of the reverse logistics companies, right. Um, that are doing this and consumers love them. And I think that's a really good sign for retailers to think about is if someone is fraudulently doing a service so well that they prefer to do that than to go back to you, gosh, the the, the bar is really high for what kind of service you need to be providing to these consumers. I also think just, sorry, I I get really excited about this. I think it's (laughs) kind of training consumers to have really unrealistic expectations, right? About like what it means to have a kind of returns experience. And so if you think about, Mm. gosh, I want my money immediately. I don't want to have to print out a label. I don't want to have to go anywhere. I want someone to come pick it up. Like, I'm sorry, what? Like, this is a $20 t-shirt. Can can we talk about (laughs) how it costs $25 in reverse logistics to get that back? Like, that just doesn't work. And so you see a lot of people just throwing up their hands and saying, donate it. I don't want it back. Right. Um, from that perspective, it's, it's, I'm, I'm wiping it, forget TJ Maxx, forget, forget Marshall's, forget the downstream reverse logistics, you know, opportunities to recoup those losses. Let's just not do it. That was a long answer to your question, but that's, that's what I think is neat. And, and, and explain to me again, why the potato came into that? What, what's the (laughs) potato thing? Because I I heard the word potato in that. What, what what is that about? I, I love, um, I love how precise you have to be about if you, you know, uh, you pick, you pick up an iPhone, right. And right. of a particular model, it weighs a particular way, you know, it has very particular, particular, um, weight, the heft in your hand, it feels a certain way, you put right. it in the box and it's like, Oh, it's this beautiful, like designed in Cupertino, really close to me, manufactured in China, all these huge problems, but the experience is, is very specific. Right? Um, right. Calculated. Well, I mean, you can reverse engineer that. I need something that feels like an iPhone when it's in an iPhone box and like this potato and <laughs> happens to do it. So I'm going to send it. And so, um, yeah, I mean, forget potatoes. It could be rocks. It could be whatever. But <clears throat> it's meant to, to the items that are being returned um, are meant to mimic as well as possible whatever the legitimate item is. So that even if somebody at UPS kind of like checks the weight and like kind of does all this and like checks the ye and the yaw and it's like, okay, well, that's gonna, it's gonna pass muster, it's fine. And by the time that you issue the credit or the gift card or the cash or whatever it's, and you discover it's a potato, it's too late. 
Well, Bennett, I sorry, I have to ask you a question because like what is happening when the retailers returns departments are opening this? I'm just like envisioning a pile of potatoes next to the workstation. So, like, so, so keep in mind, keep in mind. Okay. Now it's not enough to like grow a field of potatoes, right? Like we're not going to open a farm out of it. And I think that's, that's something that's really important to think about. It is a percentage of a percentage, right? right. Does this stuff happen? Absolutely. Yes. Is it tens of billions of dollars? hundred percent. Yes. Is it, so um, omnipresent, right? That you have like just potato, potato, potato. No, if it were that, you'd kind of like you'd shut down the channel, right? Or you'd mm-hmm. figure out who's doing this, right? And you just you shut it off at the source. So you'd go to the FBI and you'd be like, "I just, you know, I just lost tens of millions of dollars. Go figure this out." The fraudsters aren't dumb. They don't do that. They don't go in mass at like one facility or one manufacturer. They kind of do it enough to fly under the radar from that perspective. Hmm. So in your example of like, I opened a potato, I opened, I opened a potato. Do you get a potato too? That's not happening. What right. potato two, potato three, potato right. four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's like, I'm the only one who got the smelly potato and you all might've gotten actual iPhones, right? From that perspective, just um, statistically speaking, that's how it would work. So I think that's both, it's, it's insidious though, right? There, right. you know, it's not like um, you're going to just go in and, and steal a hundred percent because then people would shut down. You want to steal 7%, 15% at most, right? From that perspective of returns. And then it's like, I can't reverse engineer it. I can't shut you down, but I also am making money on my business. So I'm going to keep selling. I can't figure out where the actual problem is. That's how fraud lives that's how you make a business right so you're saying the fraudsters know the thresholds by which they can operate and oh my oh my god underneath those thresholds in yes. a great almost centralized and decentralized sort of way am i am i thinking about that right you you are so right so an example that i can give like um a consumer electronics brand we work with um had um competing fraud rings kind of like trying to do this and like they had a gentlemen's agreement, I guess, to write to like, to basically quota each other's kind of theft so that neither ring using the same attack vector would get caught. And then apparently at some point, one of them like blew the agreement and then ratcheted up activity. And then the the consumer electronics company was able to actually catch them and stop it. So, so yes. Um, Again, I think it's just like people don't respect that this is how people make money, right? Like mm-hmm. a lot of these folks just want to, you know, they want to steal because it's a good way to make money and they don't want to, you know, kill the golden goose, right? And they just want to keep collecting the eggs. It's actually a really good business model. And yeah, they're just good not, business people at the end of the day. It just has to be a business that's kind of yes. nefarious, right? Yeah, that's exactly that kind right. of, it is nefarious. It's um, super nefarious. Yeah, well, so, so what do you guys do then? Like, how do you, how do you come into this process? How do you, you know, help retailers address these problems that you're describing? Yeah. So one of the main ways that folks are thinking about this is there's the pure economics way of how do I actually reduce the damage, get the goods, resell them, all that kind of stuff. That's one channel that a lot of retailers are doing. And another channel is, hey, these fraud rings, these professional people, these consumers are flying under the radar. I can't figure it out myself. How can I make better decisions to protect myself and increase my customer lifetime value? So it's, I think of it as like 
more a can I line and a should I line. So can I offer a return in a way that makes economic sense? And should I offer this particular transaction a return and how? So we help all of our products help with the should I line. Um, but I think the can I is really important too, right? You have to think about, all right, um, should I offer a liquidator or should I, you know, offer a, a, you know, a distribution center or should I say, you know what, for this particular good, don't even try at all. Like just, just let the person keep it because that's going to be better customer experience and better for the environment and better for your bottom line than to try to get it back. So that I think is a super interesting set of questions. Signify doesn't help with that, but there are folks that do. Um, Signify does, I think, a very even more interesting question, which is like, okay, <clears throat> and how many times have you returned at any e-commerce place? Don't answer that question. It's a hypothetical, but you, you get the idea. Good, thanks. We, yeah, we, we know that, right? We, we, we have that information, right? And so that's not fully dispositive, but it is very helpful to know of, okay, well, and like, how, how often have you returned something and it has been a total loss? How often have you returned something and then come back and bought again and been an excellent customer with great customer lifetime value? If we know that, then we can help the next retailer say, hey, roll out the red carpet. Or you know what? Don't give that cash until you have the good back in your hand, right? Because keep in mind, these, um, these professional return rings, they're real people at the end of the day who have bought something. It's more akin to the mule fraud that we talked about, I don't know, one time ago or two times ago, where they're real consumers at the end of the day that are buying things. Right. And then they're either lying when they're sending it back with their real own stuff, or they're having someone work on their behalf to send it back. So there's only so many real consumer identities, right? And so those can become known. And then you have a kind of returns awareness about behavior. So I think that that's, that consortium of data, right, is, is something that is very well understood in the physical world. And in the e-commerce world, it's actually been much harder to have that kind of um, machine learning consortium data because the online personas, the online information that is available is much more fragmented, right? People might have lots of different email addresses. They might be shipping to lots of different places. It's right. not like, hey, I have my you know, card and my account and that associates me with that perspective. And, you know, I have to sign for the, the, the receipt at the store. All of those traditional types of data that's available to physical retail to, to do this kind of linking is not really available in the online world. And so machine learning steps in to help with that. Well, that was a long answer to that question. Hopefully, no, I mean, I, this is, it, I, I love talking with you, Bennett. I find this topic so fascinating. And especially because I think what you point out here is that you know, the fraud rings are working together, like even competing fraud rings are working together. So because of the nature of the e-commerce returns, retailers almost have to buy into this partnership, this consortium that you're talking about so that you can truly get ahead of this. You know, like the, the fraud fraudsters are getting more technological, the technology is increasing. And with that, you know, retailers really have to be, try to be one step ahead. And it sounds like pooling the data or tapping into somebody like Signified to help with organizing and, and reacting to that data is the best option at trying to combat this. If I'm yeah, thinking about I, that the right I, way. I, I, I think you are thinking about that the right way. And 
as a contra example to that, <clears throat> we work with some of the largest retailers in the world. And um, some sometimes people want to think about it like everyone's playing the same fair game, right? Mm-hmm. Like like this, like we're you're, we're five year olds and we're co- playing cops and robbers, but there are <laughs> rules, right? right? And it's like you can't do that, and I get to do this, and that's not how any of this works, right? Like the fraud rings don't care how they win; they right. just want to win. Right. And so, and they know that each other exists, and they'll coordinate if they need to, or they'll fight if they need to. <clears throat> When we were working on a pilot on returns with um, a very large marketplace that operates worldwide, these folks are very interested in working on this exact problem that you just said. They're like, okay, hey, signified, we, we understand you have all this data. We want to understand how to help like leverage that data, but we want to understand refunds only. And okay. we want to understand returns only. And I'm like, you, you, you can't think about this as like, one piece of your business, right? Because you have to take into account chargebacks and you have to take into account customer service disputes, everything, because all of that surface area is available to the fraud rings or the consumers. The entire surface area is is available. And so I don't care how you've organized your company and you're responsible for this problem and this is your KPI and someone over here is responsible for this and this KPI. You have to work together because the fraud rings will just move. They don't right. care if they, if they get a gift card or if they get cash, as long as they can get the gift card into cash somewhere else. They don't care at all from that perspective. And so I think that that is something that's really hard for retailers to wrap their minds around. They're like, they, they want to fight the bad people using rules. And it's like, no, there, there are no rules. That's the right. whole point. Like they, they, are, they, they are nefarious, right, Chris? So they go in and they say, Oh, okay, you, you've put that rule in place. Well, I'll just go over here. And then right. someone at a retailer is like, I won. And then someone else at the retailer is like, oh no. Yeah, what is it's happened? whack-a-mole. <laughs> yeah, right. They're just yeah. going on and on. Well, so Bennett, what does that mean then for how retailers are thinking about the future of returns? Like e-commerce, as you said, it's, you know, it's only increasing. This is only going to continue to be a constantly evolving issue for them. Um, what kind of programs are retailers trialing to try to resolve this issue? Yeah, I, I think to just to underscore how important this is to get right, though, is is another thing that's really it, it's not sure. just the loss, right? It, yeah. Because yeah. although you know it's it's tens of billions of dollars, whatever, but really customer lifetime value is is always at the core of what I think people should be focused on. Because again, we're talking about percentage of a percentage is a loss. How do you get the answer right for all of the good people? You have to design the system for the good people right. while protecting from the downside, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So, like you said last time, yeah. get, getting the best products to your best customers. 100%. Exactly. You have to do that and, and get them to keep it and write a good review and be happy with it. Like that's the happy land we all want to get to. All right. 75% of the time, if you have a bad returns experience, not only like you will not shop with that person again like that particular retailer, like consumers are super keyed in on this. So the stakes are really, really, really high. And conversely, if you give them a good returns experience, 83% of people will go back and spend more. And so like the, the sifting, right, of like, hey, 
this is a really important customer success touch point, I think is something that folks are kind of waking up to. And so that um, is the way that I frame it when I talk to these retailers is you have to design this end to end comprehensively and you have to have you have to have finance, you have to have marketing, you have to have customer success, you have to have loss prevention or fraud or, or whatever you call that. And you have to design a system together and you have to recognize, look, we can't make this all these decisions that we have to make. Do we allow a free refund or not? Do we allow like cash on delivery or not? Do we allow gift cards or not? All, all, there, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of questions that have to be answered. And a lot of that is very difficult. Now, that's not stopping people from trying to go seamless. I think if I had to say, like, what is the, the one strategic objective that retailers are going for? It's seamless returns. That is definitely what people are going for. And so that's, there's the pressure to go instant refunds. There's the pressure to go as soon as something is shipped. There's the pressure to allow... Um, hey, Amazon allows you to drop stuff off at Kohl's or all these other facilities. So you have to compete with that. So I think that that is the, the theme. And then in order to allow all of those seamless customer experiences, you have to have machine learning and data behind the back end to say, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, in, in transaction stream, because otherwise you don't get seamless. So that is what people have to do. And I think that the, 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 the question then of like, okay, where do I direct this user for the most economic channel? And should I even allow this or not? Yes or no? Those are the two biggest questions of seamless in my mind that retailers can't otherwise answer on their own. Yeah, I mean, and, and just your, I think, an emphasis, too, on how quickly that needs to happen now, too, again. It cannot be, you know, like we've talked about in the past with you, you know, human beings trying to process all this data, make a decision, and then say go. I mean, we're talking days here versus, you know, seconds um, that you're able to accomplish with machine learning. Think about the SLA for funds release. Right. So if you think about the SLA for when I'm buying something is how quickly can I get you shipping confirmation? How quickly can I get you the good? Do I deliver on that SLA? Mm -hmm. Okay. In return, it's a very similar concept. Yeah. Okay. How quickly can I deliver on my promise of giving you your money back? Right. You wait two business days. That's, that's an eternity um, in today's land. You can't do that. You know, Amazon's offering it immediately. How do you compete with that? And, and I think um, before we talked about the couch, right? We talked about, yeah. hey, just tell me when the couch is going to be here. Right. right? Be transparent. Right. Just be transparent. Uh-uh. You can't do that in refunds. Give me my money back right now. There, there is no, oh, well, we'll process this in five business days. Oh, no. <laughs> no, no, no. That's not, that is not acceptable to consumers, right, from that perspective. Yeah, the other the other point I thought was really interesting what you said too that's going to stick with me I think and hope it does too for the listeners is part where you're talking about you can't use rules based systems to fight things that don't operate by rule on a set of rules right which makes yes. makes it tailor made for you know the machine learning aspect of this than what you're describing yes um, I thought that was pretty that was pretty interesting um, but I mean if you could touch on that like what are what are some what are some actual on the ground programs you're seeing retailers try to do to, to combat what you're describing? Yeah. So the, 
the, the ground level product that, that we offer is, hey, uh, we have basically a, a, an abuse score propensity, right? And you can, you can threshold of, hey, if they're above this, then don't allow a refund until you get the item back. So right now it's all about modulating the customer experience so that you have the exact right amount of friction to stop the, the, the behavior, right? That is, that is causing that. And you can dial that up and down. And I think that's the thing that, that retailers really need to think about in these systems is it's not rules-based. It's very dynamic. Fraud rings come and go. They don't care if they steal from this person or that person, as long as they get the money, right? From that perspective. And so they're very flexible and they're very agile. So pe what people will do is, even if you set up a machine learning kind of environment <clears throat> and you leave it and let it run its system, you have to adjust the threshold of risk for there. And so I think one of the key things that people need to think about as they're designing this system is dynamism. It's not a fire and forget it and then move on, right? right. And maybe your, maybe your business objectives are going to change over time, right? Maybe you realize, hey, this customer experience point is way more important to us than it is to the rest of the market. We need to be more lax here. Or, okay, we've actually seen some of these losses increase. Let's be a little bit more selective for a while and then drive the fraudsters away and then come back. The, this attack vector needs to be thought of much more similarly to how people think about fraud traditionally, right? I think everyone would say fraud is dynamic, right? And you know, it comes and it goes in waves no one ever has talked about returns abuse as like coming and going in waves and being dynamic. And I mean, mm -hmm. it's the same people. It's mm -hmm. the same actors on the other side, guys. Like, mm -hmm. like nothing has changed except how they're stealing from you. And so once you finally wrap your head around that, like, I think it's like, okay, well, you, that's why these problems are so similar. Right. And you have to think of them similarly and you have to design. So some of the best um, examples I've seen, of stopping this behavior provide no friction to people that are good. And then you get this, this nice glowing reviews and like, hey, you get the return purchases, right? right? And you have to roll out the red carpet because that's what you need to do to compete. And then you have the ability to modulate the friction where you're unsure and stop when you know it's bad. And those are the best, like that's the best heuristic I can give of, you, you don't overreact. And I think we've talked about this too as well. Like don't shut down the system, right? It's working 85% of the time. Right. Let it work 85% of the time. Right. Focus on the 10% of the time that it is kind of not good. And the 5% of the time that it's questionable, get better on that, right? Yeah. In terms of sorting it. So that would be my answer to your question. I hope that's that's um, helpful. No, that is helpful because it get, it calls to mind something that I had a conversation with the NRF, like the red and the green customer. You're saying, you know, be very cautious of the approach you take with the green customers. Those are the people you want to make really happy and then be dead on aimed at the people you know for sure are, are the red customers, the nefarious customers using that example again. Yes, yes. Yeah, and, and clearly, I think you said it's dynamic, Bennett, but I think that's even an understatement. I mean, this is something that you need to have tools in place in order to solve with the speed at which this is changing and the speed that, you know, the fraud rings are figuring out how to, how to attack retailers, how to find a different angle in. Um, Bennett, 
as always, uh, you have just enlightened us. You've taught us so much. I know the people listening are probably, you know, going to have lots of questions, a lot to let sink in after this. Um, if people want to get access to the reporting that you've put out on returns, which I know is going to be coming out soon, um, they want to get in touch with you or Signified to figure out how you might be able to help them. What's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so the the data um, that we put out is signified.com slash pulse. And um, we have up some holiday um, uh, data that's just really interesting. The holiday season had um, some interesting points back and forth. And then as this um, return season matures in February, we'll have some, some updated data on, on returns. And um, that's signified.com slash pulse. And then um, you can always email me, um, Bennett, B-E-N-N-E-T-T, at signified.com. Um, and I can point you in the correct direction if you want to talk. Um, I love, in case it's not clear, I love talking to people about these types of problems and helping them see things and saying, I've heard of that before. That's a new one. Let me learn all about it. And then I'll, I'll help you figure it out. So yeah. that's what we do. One, one of my favorite qualities about you, Bennett, you're very excited to talk about this all the time. We always have a great conversation with you. Um, that is Bennett Signified's SVP of Operations and Corporate Development. On behalf of Chris and myself, be careful out there.